Amen, amen. How many of you got a God story? Quite a few of you got a God story. Awesome, awesome. Well, I'm so excited to be here. If it's your first time, like Pastor Michael said, we're so glad you're here. Welcome to First Christian Church. It's going to be an awesome year. I don't know about you guys, but I'm excited. When the ball dropped at the end of 2019, I was excited because I knew it's a new year. We get a fresh start, and we're going to go after Jesus with everything inside of us. Amen? Tomorrow we're going to kick off our 21 days of prayer and fasting Tonight, if you're going to be a part of that, we want to encourage you to come out as we're going to kick off that 21 days of prayer and fasting at 6 p.m. tonight. We're going to pray. And it was so amazing. I got a kick out of it. Uh, a lot of people are trying to find a way out of fasting, and I love it. It's funny. I, I get a kick out of it because I'm fasting, and I try to get away out of it too. But I had a lady that come up to me. so funny. She said she's a teacher, and uh, she said she was telling her husband, there's no way I'm going to be able to do this fast. There's just no way. He said, Why? He said, because there's a sonic on the way to my work, there's no way I can do it. She said, it's impossible. And she said she went to Sonic a couple days ago, and she went in there, and, and to her surprise, to her horror, she finds out that Sonic is shutting down tonight and is going to be closed until February. And we start our fast tomorrow. I said, tell me God don't have a sense of humor. God said, get the fasting. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. And... Um, and I'm excited. I just want to look at the camera. And to all of those of you at the Dyer County Jail and the McDowell Center, we want you to know we love you. We're praying for you. And we pray that today's message encourages you and that your life is changed in Jesus' name. Well, pray with me. We're going to jump right in. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for who you are. You are so, so good. God, I thank you that you have blessed us with another decade. You have blessed us with another year. And I ask today, Holy Spirit, that you would move in this room. As we are real, as we are transparent, as we are just raw, I ask God that lives would be encountered by the power of Jesus and that people would leave here changed, encouraged, and found because of who you are. I ask that you would hide me today behind the cross and that people would see you and hear you in Jesus' name. And the church said... Amen. Amen. Well, welcome to week one of our new series, God Stories. Maybe you're wondering why we're calling it God Stories. And the reason we're calling it God Stories is we believe that everybody has a story. Some stories may be bad, some stories may be good, but we believe that when God gets in the middle of our story, it becomes a God story. Apart from Jesus, every one of us are a mess. But when Jesus gets in our life, he makes our mess a message that can change other people's life. We believe that when somebody hears a story, when somebody hears a testimony, that it creates faith in the people that are hearing the story to believe that maybe if God did it for them, God might do it for me. It's the belief that God is no respecter of persons, that their story can be my story if I just put my faith in this God. And so our belief and our prayer during this series is kind of twofold. Number one, our top priority here is we want people to come to know Jesus. We want people to have their God story written. But number two, our prayer and our belief is that us as a church, we would begin to be bold to share our story. That we would begin to be bold with our coworkers, our friends, our families, to begin to share our testimony about what Jesus has done in our life because it matters. And it's a big, big deal. There's a scripture in Romans chapter 10 verse 14 that says this, How can they call on Him to save unless they believe in Him? And how can they believe in him if they never hear about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? What I want you to know is that when you share your story, when you share your testimony, you are sharing the gospel. You're sharing about what Jesus has done in your life. And how can people know if we don't share what Jesus has done in our life? How can people know if we're silent with our faith? 
I believe this year God is calling us to be a church that is bold to share our story. A church that's bold to share what Jesus has done in our life because our story makes a difference. I want to tell you this series is not going to be a series where we just dive deep, deep, deep into the Word. We're going to touch on the Word. And next series, we're going to go really deep about the condition of our heart. But this series is a series just about stories, just about what Jesus has done. And we want you to be encouraged. We want your story to be written. And we want you to begin to share your story. There's an Old Testament root word, an ancient root word for the word testimony in the Old Testament. If you search it out, that can translate meaning do it again or repeat for the word testimony. So when a testimony is shared, we believe that God can repeat it, God can do it again. And I want to show you in the word how this applies. If you're taking notes, there are no notes. If you want to jot it down, Mark chapter 5 verses 24 through 29 says this. Jesus went with them and all the people followed, crowding around him. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them but she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. In other words, she had tried everything the world had to offer. Everything the world could do, everything the world offered, it made things worse and nothing got better. But then the Bible says she heard about Jesus. And because she heard about Jesus, it said, So she came up behind him through the crowd and she touched his robe. For she thought to herself, If I can just touch his robe, I'll be healed. And immediately after touching his robe, she felt in her body that she had been made whole. Let me ask the question. How did she hear about Jesus? Somebody shared their story. Somebody began to talk about the fact that Jesus had healed them. Somebody had begun to talk about the fact that Jesus had done a work in their life. And they began to be real and open and share. And because she heard this, she had faith to believe that if he did it for them, maybe he can do it for me. There's another story in Mark chapter 1 verse 45 of a leper that Jesus cleanses. And Jesus tells the man, don't tell anybody. Keep it quiet. Don't tell anybody. But the man is so overwhelmed and so overjoyed and excited about what Jesus has done. He cannot contain it. So he goes and he tells everybody about his story. And the Bible says large crowds of people began to flock to Jesus. And so I have to ask the question, what would happen if you began to share your story? What would happen if the coworker that you just kind of chit-chat with and make small talk with, what would happen if you begin to say, hey man, can I have two minutes of your time to share with you about what Jesus has done in my life? What if your story was the bridge that led somebody out of hell into heaven? What if your story was the difference maker that got somebody free from drugs and alcohol and set them free because you began to be bold about your faith? What could happen? It could radically change lives. I'm convinced that when we don't share our story, we rob God of the glory that he's due of. Because when you share your story, you're not pointing to yourself. You're pointing to the one that's worthy. You're pointing to the one, the only one that could have changed your life. And his name is Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you say, man, this is great. I I love what you're saying, but I'm kind of ashamed to share my story. Because I've got a dark past. I've I've done a lot of things I'm not proud of and I'm not excited about. And if I share my story, people will begin to think about me differently. But I want to tell you what I've learned is that when I begin to share my story, people actually think less of me and they think more of Jesus. When you share your story, they're not consumed with you. They're consumed with the fact that they knew the old you and there's no way the old you is now the new you. Jesus had to have done it. 
And that's why we share our story, because it points to Him. Today you're going to hear two stories. One about in about 15 minutes from now. But before we get to that one, I want to share my own. And I know some of you think, God, oh, we've heard it 15 times. But I want to tell you the backstory of my story. I shared a, a few weeks back about the change that was around me and battling depression and suicide and wanting to end my life. But I want to tell you what led up to that. At the age of 12 years old, I had a radical encounter with Jesus. I was thinking about the teenagers that just went on their trip. And a lot of them encountered the Lord. When I was on a trip at 12 years old in Knoxville, Tennessee, at a place called Winterfest, I had a radical encounter with Jesus that changed my life. I gave my life to the Lord. And that very same moment, God spoke to me and told me that I would be in ministry. And I remember being so excited about the fact that Jesus saved me. My sins were washed away. I was called into the ministry. But little did I know what the next years of my life would hold. The same year that I gave my life to Jesus, there's a little something called pornography that was introduced to my life. And I know it gets quiet because it's not something we like to talk about, but it's real. It's a very real thing. And what started off as something so small in my life grew to something that consumed my life. It started off at age 12 of something that I just wanted. But it grew into something that I didn't want but I had to have. And I would got to where I did not want it anymore. But I did not know how to get free from this thing I was bound to. And week after week I would come into the house of God and I would hear dynamic speakers and great worship music and great counseling and what I was going through for some reason wouldn't break off of my life. And I remember thinking about the fact that God had called me into ministry but I was bound and addicted. Coming to every altar call there was and nothing would change. And you see, there's nothing more frustrating in life than knowing where God has called you but being stuck in a reality that you hate. And I was bound and I was broken and nothing seemed to fix it. What do you do when church don't work? What do you do when you love God but there's something that's got a hold of you on the inside and you don't want to be bound anymore? And you don't want to do the things that you continue to do and you've come to church and it doesn't fix it. That was my life. That was me. And because I was bound and because I was perverted and I, was, and I have no problem sharing this because it's not me anymore. But I was so bound and so broken and I would come into God's house. And the enemy would begin to whisper things into my ear. Yeah, he told you he would use you. But look at you now. You're bound. You're broken. You're a nobody. You'll never do what God's called you to do because how could you get up there and do it when you're perverted? when you're broken, when you're addicted to pornography. And I begin to allow the enemy's voice in my ear to call so much condemnation and shame and guilt in my life to where I didn't want to come to God's house. I didn't want to be around God's people. I was so eat up with shame and guilt. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 12 that the devil is the accuser of God's people. Day and night he comes before the Father bringing accusations to him. It's the devil's tactic for the believer. Condemnation, shame, and guilt. He wants you to doubt who God says you are. And I begin to believe the lie. But I'm thankful that the Bible says that we overcome him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our test by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. The blood of Jesus spoke the final word. 
And I begin to, the way I picture it, it's the Zach translation of the Bible. You may not like it. I like it. It helps me. In Revelation 12, it says the devil is the accuser of God's people. But we overcome him by the blood of the Lamb. And what I picture is that we often forget there's a man by the name of Jesus that is seated at the right hand of the Father. And every time the devil throws an accusation before it ever makes it to the Father, Jesus says, nope, my blood paid for that. That may be true. That might be who they used to be. But my blood has the final say. My blood has the final word. It doesn't matter where they've been. It doesn't matter what they've done. The cross and the blood has the final say. And understanding that the blood of Jesus covers me. The blood of Jesus washes me that breaks chains off of our life. It doesn't excuse sloppy living. Don't misunderstand me. In next series, we're going to dive into the heart. But here's the thing. He says, you overcome by the blood of the Lamb. Then he says, the word of their testimony. So God does a part, then we have a part. When you share your story, when you share your testimony, you're reminding the enemy that he has lost the war. You're reminding the enemy that he has lost the battle. You're reminding the enemy that what he meant for bad in your life, God has turned it for good and there's nothing he can do about it. That's why we share our story. At the age of 12, my God story began. But also at the age of 12, there was something else that happened to me. There was a yoke that was put upon me. And you may be saying, dude, what's a yoke? A yoke is something that is used to tie a strong object to a weak object. They would use it with animals to where a stronger animal would be yoked to a weaker animal so the stronger animal could lead the weaker one around. And a lot of times what they'll do with farming animals is they'll actually take the yoke. They used to do this. I don't know. I'm not a farmer. I don't know if they do it today. I doubt it. But they would take a yoke and they would put it on a baby animal because they wanted the, the, the animal to grow up used to this yoke on him. And as a baby, you could have slipped out of the yoke if it knew how to get out of it. But because it doesn't know how, it grows up with this yoke growing around it until one day it can't get out. And maybe there's many of you in the room like me that something was introduced to you at a very young age and you've been bound to something and there's been this yoke on you and you've came and you've wanted to be free and you've asked God to do it and you've been begging God set me free and it just hasn't happened. I was that person. But I'm thankful for years ago at a Wednesday night in a youth service, Jesus broke in and changed my life. What a, what a preacher couldn't do, what a song couldn't do, Jesus did. The Bible says in Isaiah that the anointing destroys the yoke. And God's anointing crashed in and broke that addiction off of my life and broke condemnation and shame off of my life. I'm not going to sit here and lie and tell you that I still don't have days where I feel condemnation and shame and guilt. It still happens. But here's the reality. Jesus broke that off of my life, but that wasn't the end. I had to have people in my life that would hold me accountable. I had to have people in my life that would speak to me and ask me, how you living? I had to have north relationships that would speak into my life. That's why you need life groups and you need small groups where people can walk with you and do life with you because we weren't made to do this life isolated. You were made to do it together with people. You're made to do it together. And so that's my story and I'm sticking to it. And Jesus radically changed my life. But I don't want you just to hear that story. I believe there's one that I know is even more powerful than mine. And he's a good friend of mine. Check this story out. I wasn't really raised in a godly home. We went to, we'd go to church a couple times a year. And just wasn't really my thing. Uh, 
I don't know, I started to have a lot of problems in school, uh, got in a lot of trouble. It continued to escalate out of school. I just didn't have a lot of foundation. I didn't have any direction. I would say when I was about 13 uh, was the first time that I ever used drugs. But uh, I mean, I'd had drinks before that and it was never really a major issue. And it, and I didn't think that it was much of an issue then, but uh, I just kind of did it to be cool and fit in. It just continued to progress. And before I knew it, my life was 100% revolving around drugs and alcohol. But uh, there was a, definitely a void in my life and I didn't know, I didn't know how to fill it. I didn't know what to fill it with, but I knew that I was empty and I needed something. But I started to put together some, um, some clean time, some sobriety time. And uh, well, I had 102 days sober and I had to go to jail for the wreckage of my past, things that I had done and there was just no way around it and I ended up having to go and face a three-year sentence which it, I here I was trying to turn my life around and uh, man that was that was the last thing that I really wanted to hear and I didn't know how I would endure that how I could endure that well after incarceration uh, I, I was starving for I, I just wanted to be fed. I just wanted to try to improve and although jail isn't always rehabilitation, that's what I was, that's what I was, I knew that's what I was needing. And I was ready at that point in my life to change and to do something different. I still really didn't believe necessarily, but I, I had learned a couple of prayers. So uh, I picked up a book. The book's called Purpose Driven Life and it's a 40 day guide to Christian maturity. Well, uh, that book taught me taught me how to pray and I was reading it just to be reading it and it, maybe a week or two into this book and the sinner's prayer I just hit my knees and in a jail cell in G-Pod in the Dyer County Jail and gave it up and things didn't change for me immediately it wasn't uh, just the miraculous healing but there was a change and something started to happen and life started to kind of some meaning started to take place and how to I really didn't even know how to how to go about the day-to-day -day. all I knew was drugs little did I know God I mean he always he meets us where we're at and he picked me up in the depths in the darkness in jail and actually turns out to be one of the biggest blessings in my life because I had all this time to sit and I'll never for the rest of my life have that much time to sit in the word and be sharpened and I wish that I could tell you that uh, my life changed just, oh, everything was perfect after that. It wasn't. It was not. And it was a long time that I sat there. But upon release, it was a Friday I got out. And that Sunday was the first time that I ever attended First Christian Church. And that was over three years ago. But, man, it's been, it's been a ride. My name is Lyle Willis, and this is my God story. Come on, can we celebrate Jesus this morning? Come on, that's awesome. That's so awesome. I'm going to ask Lyle Willis to come up with me. Come on, give him a hand. Tell him thank you for coming up with us.
Well, man, you've got an incredible story. Um, I've got the privilege of knowing you for a couple years now, two or three years, something like that, maybe yep. four. I've got an incredible story, uh, and God's using him to do some incredible things. And today, I'm just going to ask him some questions. I want to know what God's done in his life, uh, and I want you guys to hear the life change and the incredible things that God's doing and kind of what he went through. Uh, it's pretty in a, a pretty incredible story. So I want to start off by asking you, first of all, thank you for being up here. But I want to ask you, since your encounter with Jesus, um, what has happened to you relationally, spiritually, emotionally? What has happened kind of before and after what happened? Uh, total change in my life in all three perspectives. But um, drugs, alcohol was controlling the way that I felt. That was my thing is I wanted to be in control. And I would use those to dictate, I mean, if I was sad, angry, whatever, I'd, my life totally revolved around drugs and alcohol. So putting them down, I had to, I had to learn how to deal, how to, I, my understanding was that drugs and alcohol was my whole problem, but really that was just, that was just the start. So I didn't even know how to deal with these basic emotions, but man, it was, it was a struggle. It was a struggle initially, but from the time I was 13 till I was 30, that's all that I did was, was drugs. So, man, I, I had to start from scratch. And I feel like the time that I did get to spend inside, like, it was a blessing. And it allowed me to spend some time in the Word and have things sewn on my heart and basically teach me how to live, teach me how to go about my daily life. But relationally, I had, I don't think I had any relationships of substance. But I, my family life was not good. Uh, my friends... I mean, they, they still supported me. I was blessed in that, through, even through my addiction, that there were some friends that still, that still stuck by me. But I, it was all about Lyle. And if you didn't have anything to offer me, then I didn't really see any point in you being in my life. And everything that I did, I needed praise and, and just gratification. So, man, until I was truly humbled, that's when the rebuilding started. And I started to, uh, I don't know, I really just started to bounce back, I guess. But I didn't love myself. I had no love for myself. I hated myself. And I resented everybody that had been around me for the things that they did to me or that the picture I had painted in my head was that they had done me so wrong for so many years, and I was so concerned about what they had done. It wasn't about me. But it was here in this room when the main thing that I was trying to overcome in my life was these resentments. And Pastor Brian was talking about forgiveness. And when he talks about the blood of Christ, it covers your sins too. And it was just that major aha moment in my life where I realized that I had to forgive myself. That my sins were okay. All the things that I had done, that hatred that I felt to myself, once I could overcome that is when I actually started to make some progress, I think. That's so good, and I pray you're hearing that. You know, that's something a lot of people struggle with. They believe that God's grace is for everybody else, but is His grace really for me? Yeah, God, you'll do it for them, but do you, will you really cover all of my sins? Will you really cover all of my shortcomings? And when he had that moment, everything changed for him. He believed and received forgiveness for himself. And that's a huge step. It's a huge step in us getting right with the Lord. Is understanding He loves us and He forgives us. That's huge. Uh, spiritually, like I said, man, I, I pretty much was atheist. Or I don't. 
I don't know. I just acknowledged that I felt like I just I resented even God. So I wanted to do whatever I could do to not believe. And once I started setting those those things aside, it wasn't on my own. It was through a recovery program, um, a twelve step program. And the, the design is like first you just have to lay it down. But second and third is that you come to believe that there is a God, something bigger than you, and that it can restore you to sanity. Which I didn't. I, again, I still wasn't prepared, but for me to go through the rest of those steps, I had to do those two completely. And once I, here I was hitting a wall and I didn't know how to do that. And then, then Jesus rescues me while I'm in jail. And that's when I'm able to start to overcome those resentments until I had that strength, which wasn't, didn't rely, it didn't live in me. It was, it's through him. But that's uh, the darkest point of my life. Jesus met me right where I was at. He gave me everything that I needed. So you, you talk about in the video how you had a void and that drugs and alcohol couldn't fill it. So you would say Jesus came in and filled that void. Oh, uh, yeah. Like I said, it wasn't a miraculous healing, but uh, as much of God as I wanted. And, I mean, there's still a lot of things that I wouldn't turn away from. And I'm, I struggle just like everybody else. But, man, yes, God met me where I was at. And he is the reason, he's the reason that I'm here today. I mean, I thought that putting the drugs and the alcohol down, and everything in my life would change. Just, but it didn't. It, and in reality, very little changed. It was just a fog started to lift, and I started to realize that I didn't know near as much as I thought I did. See, this, this is real. This, this, is, this is what you call real church. A lot of times we do the fake thing. This is real. This is real life, real struggles, real things that people battle, and it's It's real. But Jesus wants to meet us right where we're at. He said that Jesus met him in the middle of a jail cell. We think that we've got to just get saved at church. Now, Jesus will meet you in the middle of wherever you're at and call your name if you'll be willing to call on him. Wherever you're at. And that is amazing. Next, I want to ask you, Lyle, since you talk about the things that God has done, I want to ask you, what is God using you to do now? What kind of purpose has he given you? Because you know, our, our vision is know God, find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference. He's found God. He's discovered freedom. But how are you making a difference, and how are you discovering purpose? Uh, well, first off, like the book I talked about, that taught me really what it looks like to be a Christian. Well, I understood that I didn't just come to First Christian Church. That's what I, have, I had read and I was told to do. So I was following direction, and I came here. Well, I dove right in. I started serving. I wanted to be a member. I wanted to do this and I wanted to do that. But all those things that I was doing, I wasn't necessarily doing for the right reasons. And as God knows our heart, um, until the church started in a difficult season is where maybe I felt like there was a heart change. And I started to serve. And it wasn't this self, self-serving. self It was actually serving the church. Well, God started to bless my life. And he did it in the form of... Uh, it was unique, but uh, Stephen Hardy, I don't know where he's at, but uh, he's over there. Anyway, he, uh, he asked me if I would lead a life group. My first thought was he must not be able to find anybody else. But <laughs> uh, then after that, really the doubt and the enemy and the, uh, all this, I was the inadequacies that I'm not, call, I'm not qualified to do that. Did you, did you feel like that because of your past, or what, what made you feel that way? Man, everything. Yeah, my past was part of it, but... I mean, really, why was I qualified was, was one of those questions. Why me? Uh, but so I, I went out, I stepped out in faith, and I decided to do that. And I led a life group, and there were some people who actually signed up for it. And <laughs> <laughs> there were. It's, well, I don't know what that's for. Uh, but no, these people, uh, so I'm the leader of a life group, 
these people carry me, man. These are lifelong friendships that, have, that I've found and that I've developed. And these people legitimately carry this group. All I do is show up and read some questions and then God moves. But so the blessing that I had been wanting in my life since I'd gotten out was that all I wanted to do was return to the Dyer County Jail and, uh, and, and share the gospel. Until I started to serve, until I started to be obedient and actually do it with a pure heart and then lead this life group, step out in faith, then suddenly here's this gift that it just fell in my lap that I was able to return to the Dyer County Jail in the form. In, in what a, the significance about the two years? It was the third year from my release from the Dyer County Jail, September the 30th, was the day that I got to return to the Dyer County Jail. Same day. Uh, and I, I, and I want you to hear the significance of this. Like this I told him in first service, it's going to make me run and do a front flip off the stage. This guy was in the Dyer County Jail for 16 months for drug-related for, for drug charges, correct? Uh, it may as well be. Okay. For a lot of stuff that was going on in his life. And he was in the middle of a mess in a place that the enemy, the enemy wanted him to be there because the enemy had it planned out to where his life would be over. But look at what God does three years later. God sends him right back into the very place that he once was to share the gospel with people that were a reflection of who he used to be. That's the heart of a testimony. And as, as, and as believers, when Jesus does a work in our heart, we have a responsibility to go back into the darkness and begin to share our story and begin to do something with what Jesus has done in us. If we're not, we need to get up and begin to go because that's the heart of the gospel. The heart of the gospel is he does it in me, now I want to see it done in other people. And he said something that was so incredible, Lyle. You, you talked about how when, when you got your heart right, because you started off serving and you told me that you started off and you didn't really have a heart for the Lord. You did it because you wanted recognition. Oh, absolutely. I just wanted people to see that maybe I was trying to turn my life around. It wasn't about what it's supposed to be about. Yeah. It wasn't about truly serving the church. I mean, this is the body of Christ. We're supposed to serve it. There's so many people that, that they're, they're too busy or they're what, for whatever reason, they don't have the time to serve the church in the capacity. Maybe they look at all these people and they're like, oh, it's going to take be taken care of. This church needs people to serve. Come on. I mean, I don't know. I, there are 168 hours in a week. If you can't find a couple hours outside of this hour right now to give to the church or to pour into people or pour into the community, I don't know, man. What, what are we doing? Come on. You, can't, you can find that time. Absolutely. You know, I think about Jesus. I love what he said. He said, on Judgment Day, he'll look at many and say some things. But then he said, well done, good and faithful servant. He didn't say, well done, good and faithful church attendee. He didn't say, well done, good and faithful leader. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and lay my life down. This man lives that. And he would tell you that serving was the catalyst that really pushed him into purpose, pushed him into doing what God has called him to do. And I pray that we hear that today. I pray that this will be a year that we, ha we have a, a serving church like never before. That we have a church that has the heart of a servant like never before. Because I'm telling you, it makes a difference. Greeting somebody, shaking a hand, hugging a neck, it's life-changing. And it's a bigger deal than we often realize. And Lyle would tell you that. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, and Stephen Hardy's the guy. Stephen Hardy can help you out. <laughs> if you didn't hear that name, Stephen Hardy. <laughs> I still don't see him. Hey. <laughs> I love it. Stephen Hardy. Uh, <laughs> so... Look at the progression, drug addiction, alcohol addiction, in jail. Three years later, during jail, Jesus touches your life. You begin to walk through a process. He sends you back. Lives are being changed. You're leading a life group. Don't tell me that you're disqualified. If anybody, I'm just going to be real. If anybody should have been disqualified, it should have been Lyle. Would you agree? 
I won't disagree. But look at what Jesus has done. So you're not disqualified today. You can come and he'll use you for his glory. And the last thing I want to ask you, Lyle, is if you had one thing that you would say to the church, to believers and unbelievers that are in this room today, what would you say? Well, I've already touched on the importance of obedience. So I just want to point out that anybody that's carrying burdens, no, I don't care what it is, I don't know what it is, but you can lay those at the feet of Jesus. And if you don't know how to walk that out, if you don't know how to do that, he is bigger, but sometimes we need that assistance. So find somebody. If it's professional help that you need, then seek it. If it's a friend, if it's somebody at the church, do that because, man, our, we can't do, sometimes we got to have help. And we're not meant to walk this life out alone. Um, Ecclesiastes 4 uh, verses 9 through 12 say that two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. <clears throat> a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. I say that because the fact, it's a fact. That the only reason I'm here today is because God works through people. And he worked through people in and around me even before I was ready to embrace him. I'm here because of the people that helped me whenever I was hopeless, that prayed for me whenever I was lost, the people that walk hand in hand with me and help me to, to be a better person, the people that hold me accountable, and then even those people that tell me to shut up every now and then. Why are you looking at it's, it's rare. It's rare. But um, the Christian life isn't easy, um, but it's fruitful. And it's difficult sometimes for us to turn away from those sinful ways and sinful desires, but and it's possible. I mean, my life was engulfed with Nothing but sin. I didn't even believe. And I, I feel a little different nowadays. Come on. Can we give Lyle a hand this morning and thank Jesus for what he's done in his life?